chapter 35, and if we could stand for the reading of the word of the Lord this morning. Genesis 35 and verse number 1. Genesis 35 and 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And change your garments. I want to talk to you this morning about going back to Bethel. Why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would speak to us and change us, challenge our thoughts, the the preconceptions of our worldview and the way we see things. God, help us to see things from your perspective. And according to your plan and your will, let it be done today, God. We give you thanks, praise, honor, and glory. We worship you. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your holy name. Bless this time uh, of, of study your word, Lord, and I pray that you would make a, a, a tremendous impact in our lives. Let there be a, a demonstration of your spirit in this service here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Jacob, last week, I don't know if you remember, but we, we talked about Jacob and Esau and this interaction that they had together, this relationship and uh, demonstrated for you Jacob and Esau's birthright exchange. And, and then Jacob fleeing all of the trouble he had created in his life and had an encounter with God. Now, the Bible says that when Jacob left the house of his father, after he had deceived his brother and stolen his blessing and had, well, I, I would say stolen, but shrewdly earned his birthright. He, he was shrewd about it. He was tricky, uh, true to his name and his character. But Jacob, when he left his father's house, he began, he was on the run. He was fleeing a, a bad situation. He bartered with Esau, and it, that was a fair exchange enough. I mean, Esau lost out, but that was really Esau's fault. But then Jacob disguised himself as his brother and went into his father, prepared him his favorite meal, and his father prayed the prayer of blessing over him. And Esau vowed that as soon as dad died, Jacob was as good as dead that on dad's funeral they would dig two graves because Jacob would soon be joining him. Esau vowed to kill his own brother. So Jacob decided it was best for him to run. He wasn't going to stick around. He wasn't going to make uh, himself available for that kind of situation. I, I get it. You know, if, if there's a, a bill on your life, you're probably going to try to find a way to, to, to stay alive, right? It's uh, like that old song, ah, Staying alive, staying alive, just ah, 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 staying alive. That's, that was on Jacob's mind, and he just was, he was running. He was running to stay alive. He did not want to die. He did not want to end up like, you know, the, the news reports in the media you hear about today. He wanted to be living. And so Jacob 
was on the run. And in Genesis 28, verse 11, the Bible says, At sundown he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Now, this is the funny part of this verse. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. I don't know of anybody that's ever said, I need a new pillow. I'm going to go out to my backyard and get a rock. And I'm going <laughs> to... Most of the time when your pillow gets that hard, you, you go get in something goose down or something fluffy, right? But, but Jacob, you know, he's, he's, a, he's in the wilderness. He's doing the best he could. And so he finds a stone to rest. And he lays down and he sleeps. And the Bible says as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw angels of God going up and down on the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac, and the, God, the, uh, the ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. On this day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it, and he placed, he named that place Bethel, which means house of God. Although the name of the nearby village was Luz, then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey and will provide with me food and clothing and return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Jacob has this tremendous encounter with God, and Ennis, if you want to throw up that first picture for me, he's sleeping, and he has this vision of a stairway to heaven. He sees this vision of angels ascending and descending on the stairs, going up to heaven and back down again. And he has this vision, not just of the stairway, but of the very throne room of God. And God speaks to him and gives him a promise. Now think of it this way. Jacob is the second born, but he earns the birthright through trade, right? We covered that last week. He, he earned the birthright through trade. It wasn't his, but he, he desired it so much. And, and, and sometimes I think, God looks past maybe our, our, our operations and the way we do things and sees the desire of our hearts. And I'm thankful for that because God looked past maybe some of Jacob's shrewdness and saw that there was an innate desire in his heart for something more than what he had been given. He, he valued and he treasured the place of the birthright that God had bestowed naturally upon Esau. But Esau despised it. He didn't want it. 
Esau didn't love it. And there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who do not love the things of God and will not love the things of God, despite they are handed to them on a silver platter. And then there's those who are not gifted or not given that opportunity or privilege, but they love the things of God and there's something in them that longs for God and desires God and goes after God. And God often finds and pulls in those who desire him in their heart. Jesus said that out of the abundance of your mouth, your heart speaks. What comes out of your mouth? What, what kinds of things come out of your mouth? They reveal the desires of your heart. If you ever want a non-biased opinion of what you treasure, pick up your visa statement and begin to categorize it. Look at the things you spend your money on. That will just, it's a non-biased report. It's an unbiased report. Go to your bank statement. Compile them together. Just do it for fun. Just, just to see what kinds of things do you treasure. And you don't have to reveal that to anybody. That's not, that's not something you have to post on social media. That's just something for you to know. I wonder, what is my priority? What, what are the things that I prioritize in my life? It's a complete non-biased report. No one's, no one's doctoring the results. No one's writing the right things in there to make you look good. It's just a complete unbiased report on what are the treasures of your heart because where your treasure is, your heart is. And what comes out of your mouth is a result of what's in your heart. So is there worship coming out of your mouth? Is there praise coming out of your mouth? Is it also matched up with, with your heart and your actions and, and your lifestyle? Does it reflect where your heart is? Where is your heart? Jacob's heart was on the things of God, and God gave Jacob the desires of his heart. God gave Jacob the desires of his heart. Now, if you examine your heart and you find that your heart is deficient, like probably most of us are, nobody in this room has a perfect heart, you can bring your heart to God, and you can have a change of heart. That's why I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't just try to reform us. Jesus doesn't try to reform us. He restores us. He makes us new. That's why it's called being born again. Uh, God was basically saying your first birth kind of left you broken and, and with a lot of issues in the heart. God, God in Ezekiel, he said, I'm not going to try to transform the stony heart of my people. I'm going to take out their heart of stone and put in a new heart. I'm going to put a new heart in them because the old heart is no good. The old heart is corrupted. The, you know, there's an expression, follow your heart. That's the worst piece of advice anybody could ever give you in this life. And I know it's a common thing. You find it in Hallmark uh, uh, cards for graduates, follow your heart, follow your dreams. Sometimes your heart and your dreams can lead you in places you don't need to be in. Sometimes if you follow what you desire over what is right for your life, you can find yourself in trouble. Your heart, the Bible says, is deceitful and wicked, and, and it's, it's the worst thing, the worst thing you can follow as far as a guide for your life. You can't even hope to follow a, a celebrity or a, a, a government system. or a, you, you know, Have you ever found yourself reading the news and you think, hey, I know, I know what's right and wrong. 
I, 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 I know there's this conflict going on over here, and, and I know this side is right and this side is wrong. I, I can look here, and, and, and then I, I start reading a little bit further, and I go, well, I, I, I'm not so sure. I, I look at governments, and I go, well, I thought I... I thought this government stood for things that were right. I thought my government stood for things that were good. And, and then I look and, I, I, you know, it comes election time, right? You're trying to pick the right candidate. And you often pick the lesser of the two evils. Because you look at both and you go, ah, I don't know. There's this one, yes, but then there's this one. And, but then there's, there's what they do and then there's what they did. And then there's what they put on Twitter and then there's what this one did in the Senate, and then there's what this one did in Parliament, and then, uh, oh my goodness. That's why the Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into his name and are safe. I don't run to my government to find security or safety. I don't run to, to the latest news story. And, and, and I, try to, I try to parse it out probably like you did this week. You heard all the news reports coming from overseas and from this side of the world and that side of the world. And there's all kinds of issues and conflicts, popular ones, that, that you, you try to figure it out and who's right and who's wrong. And, and a lot of times you walk away with a big question mark. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It seems bad on all sides. And, and where do I find security? Where do I find safety? Where do I find that solace for my heart that says, I need to have something to build my life. I need, I need to know what is right and what is wrong and, and who's going here and who's going there. And, and I'm not finding it in the news and I'm not finding it in the world and I'm not finding it in my government and I'm not finding it in social media and I'm not finding it in the, the media of the world. So where do I go? I go to the name of the Lord. Because the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous can find refuge in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the word of God and I love when I read the stories. You ever read the story of Joshua going across the river trying, you know, they're just, they're scoping out the land of Jericho. And Joshua comes up to the river, read it sometime. It's found in Joshua chapter 1 to 3. And, and Joshua gets to the edge of the river, and an angel of the Lord meets him there. And Joshua thinks, woohoo, we got an angel on our side. And Joshua says to the guy, are you for us, or are you for them? And you know what the angel said? Neither. I'm not on your side, Joshua, and I'm not on the, I'm not on the, 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 the side of Jericho. And that kind of leaves you with a big old question mark. Well, if you're not for Israel and you're not for Jericho, who are you for? And the angel replies, I'm on the Lord's side. Because Israel isn't always going to, and I'm not talking about modern day, I'm talking about, and, well, that too, but Israel isn't always doing the right thing, and neither is Jericho. So an angel's not going to pick a, a nation and say, this is the side I'm fighting for. The angel said, I'm fighting for the Lord. And as long as you stay on God's side, it doesn't matter who is with you and who is for you and who is against you. You'll always be on the right side. You'll be in that righteous tower that the righteous can run into and are safe. Jacob finds his place in the hand of God. And God, God isn't condoning what Jacob did, but God is calling Jacob to something greater. And you see this play out in Jacob's life. Jacob had mistakes. Jacob had failures. Jacob had misgivings. He had issues in his life. But he was, he was called of God. God was putting his hand on Jacob's life. And he encountered God in a powerful way. 
So he goes from that place, Bethel, where he encounters God for the first time. Jacob had received birthright promises. Jacob had received the blessing of his father. But now he has the promise and blessing of God. And he goes to Haran. If you, there's a map there, Ernest, if you want to throw that up there for me. Jacob starts down here in Beersheba. I thought it'd be helpful you to see kind of on a map. Sometimes it helps to see these things. He starts here in Beersheba where his family was. He's running from Esau, and he stops over at, at Bethlehem, and then he makes his way up to Bethel, to Luz. By the time he gets to Bethel or Luz, that's where he has that, that dream of the angels ascending and descending. Then he goes all the way up from, from Luz. He shoots all the way up to Haran, and he stays there for years and years and years, about 20 years roughly. Jacob ends up marrying two wives. I know, it's kind of odd, and you thought the Bible didn't really condone that sort of thing, and it doesn't. You get later on in the scripture, and the Bible encourages people to be married to one wife and one husband, and because... The examples are when, when you had multiple wives in multiple situations, it was kind of messy. The family dynamic was kind of messed up. So that wasn't really God's plan, but he, the Bible says he kind of winked at those things. He just kind of, oh, okay, we got to get this. We got to get, get to Messiah here. That's, we're, we're on a track to Messiah. So he overlooked some things for a period of time, but then he started calling people to repent. So Jacob has, if you want to just leave that up for me, you just leave it there. Uh, he goes up to Haran, he marries Rachel and Leah, there's a big story there, and then he leaves Laban's house 20 years later, and he comes down here to the river at Peniel, the river Jabbok, and this is where we talked last week, where Jacob wrestled the angel, he wrestled God there, and he got his name changed from Jacob to Israel. So he has an encounter with God at Bethel, he receives promises. Then for 20 years, Jacob seems to have zero encounters with God, just kind of doing his thing. His family grows. He has 12 kids. He comes down here to Peniel on his way back to his father's land because Jacob knew the promises that God had given him. Jacob knew that the promises were not given to him to stay in Haran and live there with his uncle and his, his wives and, and everybody else, but his promises were to come back to the land to Bethel, where God had promised him and said, this land that I have given to Abraham, I have also given to you. So he comes down here, he wrestles with the angel, he gets his name changed, then he goes over to Succoth. Nope. Just leave it right here. Goes over to Succoth, and then over to Shechem. And here's where I want to pause for just the next few minutes. Because while he had this, this wrestling with the angel, and he had this this encounter with God at Bethel, the Bible says that when he got to Shechem, he began to set up camp right there in Shechem. He confronted Esau. You know, this whole story, I'm, I'm speeding through it, but Jacob confronts Esau, forgives him, and Esau forgives him, and Jacob and him kind of patch things up and make things well again. But, but, but by the time he gets to Shechem, the Bible says that he begins to set up a camp there and stay. He doesn't keep moving from Shechem back to Bethel. He stays right there in Shechem. Now, 
He moves here, and the Bible says he buys a plot of land, and he begins to settle down. It's interesting because it's a bit of a departure from the promises that God had first made to Jacob. See, the, the promise he first made to Jacob is that one day I will bring you back to this land. Well, where was he when God made that promise? He was all the way down here in Bethel or Luz. But Jacob stops at Shechem, just a few miles north of Bethel. He stops just short of where God had originally promised him his homeland would be. And, and he, he, he buys a plot of land in Shechem and he stays in Shechem. In fact, J Jacob even said to God, if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will certainly be my God. Jacob said, I've actually got, in order for this promise to be completed, I've got to actually go past the house of God and go back to the house of my father. I've got to reconcile here with dad before I can inherit the promises that God had placed on my life. So Jacob came so far. I mean, like, look at the, the trajectory of his travels. Up here, comes down here, deals with his, his past, his identity issues. But then when he's just about to enter into God's promises, he parks, buys land, and stops just short of the promised land that God had called him to. We see this so many times in Scripture. And if, if you will look at the Word of God like a mirror, you might even see your own face in its reflection. Because so much, we do so much in life. You know, life takes us to unexpected places like Haran. Life brings into our lives circumstances we weren't anticipating. You wake up one morning and everything, your world is rocked. Everything's different than when you went to bed. And you marvel. I don't know if you've ever had those kind of land, you know, land shifting experiences in your life where you go to bed one way and you wake up the next morning and everything has changed and everything is different. Something catastrophic in your life changes for the good or for the worse. But, but it totally shifts everything. And you realize from this point forward, life will never be the same again. It won't be the same again. As a young person, I worked for my dad's company, Tom's Landscaping. And I thought for sure, I would always have this security. It doesn't matter. I, I had this like safety net, I thought. I, for the rest of my life, I would live and I would, you know, explore, I would pastor and maybe I'd, I'd try out this job and this job on the side and I, I, I'd, I'd have the freedom to explore and experiment because after all, I could always come back and work for dad. If things got bad and I couldn't find work or the, the church wasn't able to support uh, me as, as, as pastor for a time, I could still work for Tom's Landscaping and earn a living and, and everything would be okay as long as Tom's Landscaping, that, that was my safety net. And I had the security in the back of my mind. I could always go work for my dad until my dad passed away. And we sold the company and the equipment. And then it was like, oh, nothing will ever be the same again. Life changed in the space of a few hours. Everything changed. Everything shifted. So life throws us those curveballs. Life is uncertain like that. But then Jacob finds his way back to God. He finds his way back into his, God gives him a new identity. God's like, it's okay, Jacob, I've had you 
in my sights the whole time. I've had you on the level the whole time. I've, I've been with you. I've been walking with you. I've, been, I, I've protected you, Jacob. I've provided for you. And I've brought you back to the land. And Jacob gets almost there, almost to the place where God had promised him he would get his final blessings. And he stops and steps up camp just north of where God brings him. There's a danger in short, stopping short of the promises of God. There's a danger in going so far and then, you know, you've come this far. I, I remember talking to a friend of mine. They said, well, you know, uh, Joel, I've given up so much for God already. I, I don't feel like I need to go any further. I've, I've already sacrificed enough. I've already given so much. I'm, I'm good now. I can just kind of coast. I can just kind of live the rest of my life. And I think I can just keep, keep living this sort of way. They, they, weren't, they weren't fully committed. They committed a lot, but they weren't all the way there. They just stopped short of complete surrender to God. Shechem was close, but it wasn't, it wasn't all the way. Bethel was the place where Jacob committed himself to God. Shechem was close, maybe in the view. Maybe if you got up to a high point in Shechem, you could look down and see maybe Bethel. You could see a place that was close to Bethel. Bethel was close enough, but not all the way. Not all the way. See, there's a danger in minimum requirements. They discovered this when they built the Titanic. The Titanic was a, a, a massive ship of its day. It was unlike any other ship that had been built up until that point. It was so large and had so many more places to be and stay. And there was so much more passengers it could take. But the Titanic operated by the minimum requirements of construction of the day. And so it came time to build the lifeboats for the Titanic. And they flipped open the manual of the, the minimum requirements of a seafaring vessel. But the problem was the Titanic broke all of the other standards of its day. It was the largest ship that had ever been built. And it was carrying more people than had ever been carried on a boat before. So the standards of the day were inadequate to actually provide what the Titanic actually needed in the way of lifeboats. Because they thought, this ship is unsinkable. That's all they didn't think about this. But they just said, hey, let's just go with the minimum requirements in order to get this boat on the water. Because after all, if we build the actual amount of boats that we need, we won't have any deck space to play games. So they only built the minimum requirement of lifeboats for the Titanic. And we know how, that, how well that turned out. Because they actually needed those extra boats and many people lost their lives because there weren't enough boats to meet the needs of the danger. You can live your life on the, the, the skin of minimum requirements for only so long until your vessel is sinking and you realize, I didn't go far enough. I stopped just north of my full commitment to God. And I landed in a place called Shechem. Pastor, what's the big deal? Like what happened to Jacob and Shechem? Well, 
What happened with Jacob and Shechem was nothing short of a disaster. Because while Jacob was in Shechem, unfortunately, there was a, a guy there who was the son of the city leader who took fancy to Jacob's daughter, desired her, and wanted to marry her. And Jacob said, okay, this will be a good deal. But he was so passionate to, to fall in love with her that he prematurely took her home and had relations with her in a non-consenting way. And as a result, Jacob said, you know what, you're not going to get to marry. He still wanted to marry her. This was the thing. This, this guy was operating under his own worldview that at the time, for him, he, it was like a little slap on the wrist. You know, this was a naughty thing to do, but he still wanted to honor this girl that he fell in love with and still wanted to marry her. It wasn't like a, a completely bad situation, just not the best for that time of day, that time of life and society. But Jacob said, no, you can't marry her now. She's defiled, and she's going to stay at home for the rest of her life. The rest of her life, she remained in Jacob's house unmarried because of what this man did to her. And Jacob's, brother, Jacob's sons were so upset by what they did, by what this man did, that, that they actually murdered all of the men in the entire city of Shechem. See, this is going from bad to worse for Jacob. Now, was it all because he stopped short of Shechem? And is that going to happen to you if you don't make your promises to God and keep them all the way? All these terrible things are going to come your way. No, I, I'm not saying it's exactly going to happen like that, but it didn't work out too well for Jacob. He stopped just short of his full commitment to God, and his life took a turn for the worse that he was not expecting. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I could gain Christ. Paul said, it's everything in my life that I thought I gained. Every accolade, every degree, every accomplishment, every failure, every trial, I discarded all to gain Jesus Christ. Paul was saying, I don't want to, I don't want to stop short of what I want, of what I want from God. I want everything, and so I'm going to count it all as loss. I'm not going to put my hope in this world. I'm not going to put my hope in a government system. I'm not going to put my, my confidence in a celebrity or a person of interest in this world. I'm not going to put it in a relationship. I'm not even going to put it in my job because my job is here today and can be gone tomorrow. I'm not going to put it in my, my ability to make money, but my hope, my, my life, my refuge is going to be found in Christ. Everything else is lost, but I'm going to seek for relationship with Jesus. All earthly gain, material wealth, all family ties and social pedigrees, all degrees and achievements, all righteous acts and good deeds, all failures and flops, all trials and temptations, all successes and wins. Essentially, the sum total of my life is a loss if Jesus is not at the center. Pastor, are you saying that I should forsake my family and cut my family ties? No, I'm not. But should those family ties ever get in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ? 
You've got to make a decision at that point. Who is number one in my life? Who, who is number one? If a job is asking you to make some, some concessions so that your walk with God is hindered or, 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 or threatened in any way, you have to make a decision on, on what am I building my life? Who is going to be my source and my provision? Am I going to stop short in Shechem or am I going to make my way back to Bethel and go all the way to where God has placed his hand on my life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But you, if you will give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what you do, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What is the cost of your soul? What is the cost or the price of your relationship with God? Is anything more Worth more than your soul? No. No, it's not. See, we can look at life. We can look at our circumstances and say, you know what? Uh, God is good, but I really want this other thing. I really want this job. I really want this, this, this benefit. I really want this relationship. I really want this thing. And, and maybe I can even deceive myself into thinking that I can have both. I can have both. This, this, this thing in my life is calling me away from God. It's pulling me away from my walk with God. But if I can hang on to that and somehow figure out how to hold on to God at the same time, I'm, I'm living in Shechem but not going to Bethel. See, now, I can't delineate for you how to get back to Bethel for yourself. I, I can't do that. I couldn't possibly break this down for you in every possible scenario to give you the answer of what is your back to Bethel? And I don't think that's my responsibility. That's the role of the Spirit of God. That's the role of the Spirit of God in your life. And the only thing that you need to be concerned with is your, is your, your, your prayer life that says, God, I want to go all the way with my relationship with you. Whatever is keeping me back at Shechem, whatever is keeping me just going from all the way, whatever is holding me back, God, let me see it, help me to realize it, and give me the grace to surrender it to you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. This is Paul talking near the end of his life. He says, I haven't re really achieved everything that I desire from God. But I press on to possess perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul said, I'm continuing to press in my relationship with God. God, is there something else you want me to sacrifice? Is there something else you want me to give? Is there some other way you want me to get involved? Is there some other way you want me to devote myself? I press on and reach for the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. I told you Jacob's story at Shechem. His daughter was raped. His sons end up killing all of the men in the village in cold blood because of this situation. 
Jacob becomes so distressed at the turn, the really bad turn that his family was taking, that he goes finally to prayer. And the Bible says God said to Jacob, get ready and move to Bethel. Jacob, you came so far, but you stopped just short of it. And your life has kind of come unhinged at the seams. And so now pull yourself together, Jacob, and get back to Bethel. But before you get there, I want you to get rid of all the pagan idols. Purify yourself and put on clean clothes. Because going back to Bethel is more than just moving from one place to the next. There's actually things that you've got to let go of in order to get to your next place in your relationship with God. There's idols in your life. There's things of this world that the world has its hold on in your life. May not necessarily be sin. May not necessarily be bad. But they are holdovers from a former life. God says, I even want you to change your clothes. Your clothes have got to reflect the place that you're going to. See, the word Shechem means neck or shoulder. And the idea was that, that you would put a weight or a burden on your shoulder and, and you would shoulder the responsibility, right? You, you've ever heard that expression? Oh, they're shouldering the weight of that job. They're shouldering the weight of that responsibility. And what it's saying is they're, they're putting their shoulder to the wheel and they're, they're pushing ahead. That's what Shechem meant. Shechem was, was, represented a place where I'm going to do everything by my own strength. I'm going to do everything by my own will. I'm going to shoulder the job. I'm going to put my shoulder to the wheel. I'm going to put my, my effort and my energy into this thing, and it's all going to be on me. It's the weight of it is resting on my shoulders. But see, when God is at the center of your life, God is the one who carries you on his shoulder. In fact, the Bible says that you're supposed to get into the yoke with God. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye here are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. What Jesus was saying is, get into the responsibility with me. Shoulder the, the, the job that I have for you with me, not apart from me, not on your own strength, but do it with me me. Do it in tandem with my spirit. That's why when we get up in the morning, it's good to pray. It's good to recenter our focus on the kingdom of God and on his righteousness so that all these things can be added unto us it's because we're putting ourselves in the yoke with God. We're partnering up with Jesus. We're, we're, we're connecting ourselves to him to see his will fulfilled in our life. We, we sing the song. We sing the song, uh, take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So Jacob gets his family together. The Bible says he buried the idols under the tree. He buried an idol, uh, all the idols and all the, 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 the knickknacks the family had, had, had collected over the years. He said, we're getting rid of it and we're going back to the house of God. We're going back to the place where God first called me. 
We're going back to the place of repentance. We're going back to the place of dedication. We're going back to the place of consecration. Listen, I believe God wants to do great things in Ajax, and I, want, I believe he wants to do great things through this church. I believe that God is, thank you for your sacrifice this year so far. In the last couple months, you have given up yourself financially. You have given up yourself to the community. You are continuing to give, and there's still more. We have missionaries coming next week to France. And I, I have no doubt that you're going to reach into your pocket and pull out a little bit more seed and throw it on the water as we talked about at the beginning of, of the fall, where, where God is calling this church to invest in, 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 in revival in other areas and in this city financially, monetarily, and with our investment of energy and dedication. I believe and I'm thankful for your sacrifice. But we cannot be the church God wants us to be if we're not willing to go back to the place of repentance, back to the place of prayer, back to the place of dedication to the house of God. We can grow as a church numerically, but if we aren't growing from a place of spiritual depth, it's a shallow growth. It's a shallow growth, and when troubles come, the growth often dies off quickly. But if the growth that we experience as a church comes from our spiritual depth, we're putting roots down in the word. We're putting roots down in our relationship. Come to Wednesday night Bible study. Wednesday night, we're talking about back to the basics. We're, we're, we're diving into the word of God deeper than perhaps we do on a Sunday morning. Your soul can be enriched through the teaching of God's word. Your knowledge of the word of God and understanding the opportunity to ask questions and to, to grow in your understanding. I encourage you to come. Why? Because it's important to put down roots and become spiritually healthy. To make it a priority for your life, that God has got God's word. I've got to understand it better. God's God's word. I gotta I gotta get it in my soul. I gotta get it in my life. It's the foundation on which my life is built. And if I put my hope in this world, and I put my hope in the news media, and I put my hope in this and that and the other thing, it's gonna come up short. I'm gonna be like Jacob and Shechem. There's gonna be a moment I'm gonna look around and go, "What happened? How did I How did I get this way?" How did my life turn this way? Get up and go back to Bethel. Go back to the place of God's presence. Go back to the place where God's word is a priority in your life. Go back to the place where you're counting on and relying on the promises of God. Go back to a place of dedication. Can we stand this morning? I wonder if there's a place of prayer you would find yourself in this morning here at this altar, wherever is convenient for you, and maybe even if it's not convenient, but would, would you come and find a place of prayer this morning, a place of surrender to God, a place of dedication to Him that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make God number one. I'm going to make God first in my life. I'm going to make God the center of my life. I'm going to go back to Bethel. I'm going to go back to that place of dedication. I'm going to go back to that place of consecrating myself. And even if it's in prayer, God, show me. Show me where I need to take my next step. You don't have to worry about, about giving everything and, oh, oh, my goodness, what am I, how am I going to surrender it all? No, just, just talk to the Lord. Say, God, I want to go back to being in union with you. 
Let God show you. Let God open your eyes to what's the next level of commitment for you. What's the next level of surrender? Would you come? Would you pray? Let's talk to the Lord for the next few minutes. I surrender.